Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yes or no to this statement, obesity is the government's business. We all eat, but do we do it wisely and well? Well, obviously not. So who is supposed to fix that? Well, that's what we're going to have out here tonight. This is another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We have four superbly qualified debaters, two teams of two, three rounds of debate, and then the audience will vote to choose the winner and only one side wins. And as we go into it and meet our debaters, ponder this thought. At one point in our history, the Surgeon General of the United States raised the alarm about the number of Americans who were underweight. That was Dr. Hugh Cumming. He was the sixth Surgeon General, and it was 1925. And he certainly thought it was the government's business that Americans were getting too few calories. So what happened? Our motion is obesity is the government's business. And arguing for this motion, I'd like to introduce this team first. First, Dr. David Satcher, who is the 16th Surgeon General of the United States. And Dr. Satcher, you were the first to raise the alarm in 2001 about the obesity epidemic. And I want to just ask you very briefly, at that point, did you see us reaching this point where the numbers are where they are today? Well, it was sort of a surprise when we saw what had happened over a 20-year period and the direction uh, that we were going in terms of increasing obesity. So we didn't know how long it would take to begin to turn what we call the epidemic around. Thank you, Dr. David Satcher. And your teammate, Dr. Pamela Peake, you started out life as a critical care doctor, and then you went back to school to learn nutrition. Motivated by what? I became a Pew Foundation scholar in nutrition and metabolism because in medical school I learned nothing. I didn't have a minute of nutrition taught to me. Yet here I was in the critical care unit where people's uh, uh, lives were at stake, I had to keep them alive with food, and I was the most clueless person of all. I went back to school. Thank you, and welcome to our team arguing for the motion. Our team arguing against the motion that obesity is the government's business includes Paul Campos. He is um, a modern-day version of the Renaissance man. He is a Shakespeare scholar, a law professor. He's at the University of Colorado. But you're here because of a book you wrote called The Obesity Myth which was motivated, you've said before, by an interesting confluence of events, the Monica Lewinsky scandal and the use of the word zaftig in the public culture to describe her, all of which led you into a new field. How? Yeah, I was uh, 
sounds improbable, but I was, uh, I was doing a conference on the Clinton impeachment when it was taking place, and a speaker dropped out on me, and I had to fill in the gap in the program. And so I was looking at the media coverage of the Clinton impeachment to see if there was something interesting to say about it, and I did a, a Lexus search, and I found that there were more than 100 news stories that used the phrase Monica Lewinsky and the word Zoftig. I was very struck by that because, of course, as I've discovered in talking about this over the years, the vast majority of Americans uh, don't know what Zoftig means. This audience probably has a relatively high percentage of people who know what that word means. Um, but m most Americans don't, and yet the, Monica Lewinsky was being identified as both uh, fat and Jewish, which I thought was kind of interesting by the use of that word. And so I started looking at the, weight that, uh, the, the role that weight obsessionalism played in the Clinton impeachment, and um, here we are today. Thank you. And your, your teammate, John Stossel. John Stossel, well-known as a journalist, a gadfly, a libertarian, a contrarian, an omnivore, I presume? A what? Yes, yes. <laughs> Omna. That might have been too personal. Relevant to this debate, John, you have, you have likened uh, those who would want to regulate uh, the diet of Americans to the prohibitionists of the early 20th century, the moral being what? that they mean well, but that they do more harm than good. And right. It reminds me of what Mencken said, that uh, they have the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the team arguing against the motion. So on to round one. Our motion is obesity is the government's business. And speaking first for the motion, obesity is the government's business, I'd like to introduce the 16th Surgeon General of the United States. He has also served as Assistant Secretary of Health and as Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. David Satcher. Well, let me say that I, I spent nine years in government, or five as Director of the CDC, and as you've heard, for as Surgeon General and Assistant Secretary for Health. Let me just tell you a few of the things I was involved in. In 1996, uh, while director of the CDC, we released a very interesting report on physical activity. It was actually released as a Surgeon General's report. And basically, what we showed in that report on physical activity was that there was a dramatic decline in physical activity among the American people, including schools no longer requiring physical education K-12. And so we expressed a lot of concerns about sedentary lifestyles of American people and the implications of that. In 1999, I represented the United States at a World Conference on Health Promotion and Disease Prevention. And at that conference, for the first time, I released the Surgeon General's prescription. Among the things on that prescription was the recommendation for regular physical activity at least 30 minutes a day, at least five days a week but also a recommendation that the American people consume at least five servings of fruits and vegetables per day. Then in 2001, I released the Surgeon General's Call to Action to Prevent and Reduce Overweight and Obesity. That report, um, among other things, uh, pointed out that between 1980 and the year 2000, there had been a tripling of overweight and obesity among children in this country and a doubling among adults. So we did sound the alarm, and even though I was former director of the CDC and we are very selective in what we call epidemics, usually reserved for infectious diseases, we declared that um, overweight and obesity was an epidemic in this country. We especially expressed concern about the changes in the maps throughout the country where you could actually map the increase in overweight and obesity uh, in various states, whereas in 1990, 15% was almost the high. By the year 2001, it was 25 to 30% of the American people who were obese. What we know about overweight and obesity from a population perspective is very important, I think, to this debate, because what we know is that it is, uh, has re increased dramatically, but also that it is clearly associated with an increase in chronic diseases, especially what we call type 2 diabetes. And as you know, type 2 diabetes increases the risk for cardiovascular disease and even renal disease. We were also concerned about disparities. We had declared the goal of eliminating disparities in 
health in this country, especially among different racial and ethnic groups. And what we observed, of course, was that this epidemic was disproportionately impacting African Americans and American Indians. So American Indians also have the highest rate of type 2 diabetes, and African Americans have the highest mortality rate from type 2 diabetes. We were also concerned about what was happening in children. And I think this is really critical. What we found was that children, by increasing overweight and obesity, were now getting what we previously had called adult-onset diabetes. We were seeing it in children. We were seeing hypertension in children. Pediatricians were expressing great concerns. Dr. David Satcher, your time is up. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our motion is obesity is the government's business. And here to speak against this motion, John Stossel. He is host of the Fox Business Network program known as Stossel. He has received 19 Emmy Awards. And prior to joining Fox, he spent over two decades at 2020 on ABC News as an anchor and a correspondent. Ladies and gentlemen, John Stossel. So, Dr. Satcher, I hear you, and it's a problem that people have less physical activity, and it would be good if we ate more fruits and vegetables, and it's terrible that more people have diabetes, but obesity is the government's business. That's a separate issue. It's a powerful assumption in that, but behind it is the assumption that everything good should be encouraged by government and everything bad discouraged. But everything is arguably, to some degree, helpful or harmful. So this is a formula for totalitarianism. I mean, what is totalitarianism if not the view that everything falls within the purview of the state? Mussolini said that. Everything within the state, nothing outside. Okay, that's over the top. I'm not saying that government is like a fascist regime, but it's becoming just as invasive. It spends $3.8 trillion dollars. It's going broke. The philosopher Thomas Hobbes started using the term Leviathan to refer to a powerful central government to which we give up some rights. And he thought Leviathan was a good thing. But he assumed that its function was protecting us from violence. He never imagined that Leviathan would plan our meals. But government has gone much further. We now have an agriculture department that spends $145 billion a year. Government runs public housing, a war on drugs, a welfare state. It runs school lunches, subsidizes students, Indians, researchers, volunteers, small businessmen, rich businessmen. Polices the world and polices our home and our jobs, our bedrooms, and now food too. But if it weren't already doing all, trying to do all that stuff and doing it badly, it could better do what it's supposed to do, protect us from criminals and terrorists and America wouldn't be going broke. Now the president wants to spend another $300 million or so of your dollars to pay for his wife's healthy foods financing initiative. And, of course, that's in addition to all the stuff we already have, the Let's Move campaign, the task force on childhood obesity, the school lunch program, the council on fitness, and so on. What's the result of all that stuff? Since they created it and spent a lot of your money on it, people are fatter than ever. Some states say we ought to have some taxes, taxes on bad food. And intuitively, this makes sense. Let's tax candy. You know, then they'll eat less candy. They'll eat more fruits and vegetables. So Illinois did that. But what's the result? It's just confusing. What is candy? They decide, okay, a Hershey bar is candy, but a Kit Kat bar, that's food because it's got flour in it. (laughs) So this enriches the bureaucrats and the lawyers, but it doesn't help anybody lose weight. Government can't make us thinner. Government can't control our personal behavior in that way. We're spending $3.8 trillion and going broke. We couldn't afford to do this even if it worked. We don't need government to do this. There are only two ways to do things in life, voluntary or force. Government is force. We need some force to keep us safe. But voluntary is better. And voluntary abounds. We have plenty of diet information, all these diet websites, books on nutrition, TV shows like The Biggest Loser. That's enough. We don't need government taking our money, and we don't need government force. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. Stay with us. 
So here's we are, where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters arguing out this motion, obesity is the government's business. You have heard the first two debaters, and now to introduce our third, to debate in support of the motion that obesity is the government's business. Here is WebMD's chief lifestyle correspondent, a professor of medicine at the University of Maryland, and former Pew Foundation scholar in nutrition and metabolism, Dr. Pamela Peake. I wear many hats. I'm a physician first, and I hail from the front trenches, face-to-face with my patients and as chief lifestyle expert for WebMD's 90 million members, click-to-click with my cyber folks. I set up a discussion group asking, is obesity the government's business? The bottom line was, yes. Obesity is the government's business. For leadership, education, protection, Options, opportunities, infrastructure, no sidewalk, no walk, no park, no play, no tax, no ban. They drew a line in the sand. And Dr. Satcher and I agree with that. Obesity is the government's business. I'm going to flip now to my public health hat. Government cannot solve the obesity problem alone. A problem as large as obesity, pun fully intended, requires all sectors of society to bring our thinking to the table. So I argue for government-private sector partnerships. Shouldn't be just the government at all. We're in New York City. I love this place. You have programs here. For instance, Mayor Bloomberg has joined with 500 other mayors with the Let's Move Cities and Town campaign to be able to work, drill down into the neighborhoods, what we can do to be able to improve physical activity, as well as nutrition. In addition, the FRESH program, Food Retail Expansion to Support Health Program, say that three times, has set up 14 supermarkets in food deserts. This was a private-public collaboration, a partnership that worked. I'm going to switch over to my last hat as a researcher. Guess what? The National Institutes of Health is public funding, $32 billion to save your lives. It's interesting, when I began my work there as a senior scientist, I went to the clinical director's office, and above the office there was a sign that said, In God we trust! And there was a little sign below it. It said, Everyone else must show data. (laughs) Fairly straightforward. We wanted to see some good data here. And so in our laboratory, we showed the connection between chronic stress, for instance, and the buildup of that toxic fat deep inside your belly, which increases your risk for heart disease and diabetes. We showed, for instance, that it's not about ELM, eat less, move more. That's so important. However, what about stress? New research has just been published showing that children who are stressed, and you know what that's about, in their childhood, at home, at school, eat more. And that's that stress-fat connection that we talk about so often. What are we doing about that? So here we're looking at something that's a brand new phenomenon, something we love to call secondhand obesity. What we're looking at is virally families, what's going on with them, how are we touching kids. It's so much bigger than demonizing sugar. It's so much bigger. What we're saying is educate, bigger brain, better choices. Obesity is the government's business. Thank you, Pamela Peake. And that is our motion. Obesity is the government's business. And now, here, our final debater against the motion, Paul Campos. He is professor of law at the University of Colorado in Boulder and author of The Obesity Myth, Why America's Obsession with Weight is Hazardous to Your Health. Thank you. Uh, Imagine if this debate were framed as eliminating body diversity is the government's business. I think that would sound a lot different, uh, but in the point of fact, there is really there is no practical distinction between those two motions. Um, the assumptions at work here are that a narrow range of body weight is normal for human beings, and that outside that range, uh, variation is a product of poor lifestyle. Uh, furthermore, it's assumed in the framing of this issue that by reforming poor lifestyle, uh, either uh, voluntarily or quasi Uh, coercively, you can eliminate abnormal body weight. Uh, This is all wrong. Uh, There's nothing normal about normal body weight. It's not normal statistically. 
Uh, it's not normal epidemiologically. The overweight category of BMI 25 to 29.9 uh, does not, in fact, in, uh, feature increased overall health risk. So there isn't even a correlation there between increased health risk uh, and the uh, pathologizing of that body state. Uh, here I want to emphasize, first of all, that we do not know an enormous number of things that we would have to know if we were going to have a rational policy that was based on the notion that we were going to make everybody have a BMI between 18.5 and 24.9, the so-called normal range. Outside of that is supposedly pathological. Here's what we don't know. We don't know how to produce significant long-term weight loss. Uh, we don't know if such weight loss would be beneficial. This hypothesis has not been tested for the very good reason that since we don't know how to produce it, we can't test the hypothesis. Uh, we don't know to what extent, uh, if at all, the generally weak associations between obesity and increased health risk are products of a causal relationship as opposed to markers for other things, like, for example, dieting, weight cycling, diet drug use, eating disorders, stress, stigma, and lower socioeconomic status. We don't know why weight went up among Americans in the 1980s and 90s. We don't know why it was stable in the 1960s and 70s. We don't, in fact, know whether people are more sedentary today than they were 40 years ago. We just don't have the data on that. We don't know whether people consume more calories today than they did 40 years ago. Again, the data is not available. Right? Here's what we do know. We do know that public health interventions designed to produce weight loss do not produce weight loss. This hypothesis has been tested. It's been tested in situations where we have had intense public health intermediations that are much more intense than those that we could produce on a population-wide scale, and those interventions do not produce weight loss, either in adults or children. We do know that labeling bodies as diseased is stigmatizing, and we know that stigma is very bad for health. And so what I would advocate more than anything else is that we ought to focus on harm reduction, not weight reduction. We've already had some invocations tonight of the notion that uh, we don't want to stress people. Here's a suggestion. Stop telling them that their bodies are pathological, because that's very stressful. That's not good for people. And if you say that you don't want to stigmatize obese people, uh, but you just want to stigmatize obesity, I would suggest that that is a uh, protocol that's not going to be successful. Thank you. Thank you, Paul Campos. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Now on to round two, where the debaters will address each other directly and take questions from me and from you in the audience. We have two teams of two here arguing out this motion. Obesity is the government's business. Arguing in support of this motion, David Satcher and Pamela Peek. They, they are arguing that we have a national emergency underway, a record of weight gain among Americans that threatens to bankrupt the health care system and to break the health of those who are obese. But they also offer hope in the role of government as, um, in, in, in its ability to offer leadership and protection and infrastructure in support of the actions of those individuals who do want to lose weight. The side arguing against includes John Stossel and Paul Campus. They are arguing, one is, they're basically saying the research is wrong that says that obesity is killing us. Um, they're also saying basically that whenever Uncle Sam attempts to govern the health of an individual, Uncle Sam always gets it wrong. So there's a lot to talk about there and a lot to explore. And I want to go first to the side arguing in support of the motion. What your opponents have left hanging out there repeatedly is the notion that government's track record already is terrible. Over the last uh, 20 years, 30 years, as government programs have been put into place, um, we've just gotten heavier. So take that on. What, what is the evidence that, in fact, government can have an impact on obesity of individuals? David Satcher. Well, I think um, the evidence is related to several things. First, we had a very interesting study funded by NIH uh, in the late 90s, early 2000, and basically showed that if we could get people to be physically active and to change their diet, even if they lost only 5 to 15% of their weight, we could dramatically decrease the risk for diabetes. In fact, almost 60% reduction among African-Americans and American Indians in the onset of type 2 diabetes. So I, th I think we do know from that study that it's possible to help people change lifestyles. And I did say help. Uh, Pamela is correct. There are a lot of people in this country who do not have access to healthy lifestyles. Let me go to the other side. Paul Campos, would you like to respond? Um, 
the, the difficulty with citations to the notion that a small amount of weight loss is going to uh, greatly reduce the risk for type 2 diabetes is that uh, a couple things. One, you can't you cannot disentangle the amount of weight loss that is produced, which is generally quite small, from the uh, beneficial effect of the lifestyle intervention. Uh, the way that you would want to test that is to say, well, let's look at the people who lost weight and compare them to the people who didn't lose weight uh, if they all engage in the same lifestyle intervention. Is there a dose response that is related to the weight loss? And the answer is no, there isn't. In those studies, the people who engaged in the same lifestyle changes but didn't lose weight had the same reduction on average in, di- in type 2 diabetes risk as people who engaged in the, in the uh, lifestyle changes and did, in fact, lose some weight. I want to go to, to Pamela Peake. You're on the side with the two doctors. Your opponents are basically saying they're, they're blowing up conventional wisdom here mm-hmm. by saying there's, you're, you're not quite saying it, but you're suggesting, Paul, that there's not a whole lot of point in reducing your calories and exercising more if your goal is to lose weight. And that just flies in the face of everything that even you stand for in your work, Mm -hmm. Pamela. So take that on. I would be more than happy to take that on. (laughs) Apparently, Paul um, is not aware of the National Weight Control Registry. Uh, This is an ongoing study, uh, almost 20 years old, which has been sponsored by the University of Colorado, as well as Brown University, my colleagues, Dr. James Hill and Rena Wing. Uh, The cohort right now is over uh, 10,000 people. And these people are known as the successful losers. Um, And actually, Paul, um, you actually are too because of your own weight loss, as you noted in your book. Uh, You qualify because you had to have dropped at least 30 pounds and kept it off for at least a year. And uh, the grand majority of these people have kept off approximately 60 pounds um, for almost uh, six years or or longer. And this is on the average in a very large cohort. Um, These people uh, have determined that they will keep this weight off by utilizing a very simple things. Um, one of the most interesting things we found was that the number one predictor for being able to keep weight off and do this well is to have a healthy breakfast every morning. Um, they are physically active. Are they part of the Olympic camp? No. So you're emphasizing information, encouragement, and education. Absolutely. I want to ask John Stossel, what's wrong with the government through schools uh, emphasizing education information? Because Pamela said that's all voluntary and talked about public-private partnerships being voluntary. But government isn't voluntary. It said we have a voluntary tax system, but try not paying your taxes and see if it's voluntary. But, John, what would be the harm of, 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 uh, of spending money in a school to put this on the curriculum and keep it on the curriculum? Because the schools can barely teach reading, writing, and arithmetic. David Satcher. Well, I think a couple of things. The goal of these programs is to help children develop lifetime habits of physical activity and good nutrition. We also know, by the way, that children who develop good eating habits and regular physical activity do better academically. They perform better on standardized exams in math and reading. They are more disciplined in school. So the benefits of healthy lifestyles go far beyond losing weight. Now, Paul quoted the the statistics about weight loss versus decrease in diabetes. The goal is to decrease fat. And sometimes you can decrease fat and increase muscle and not lose weight. But you still reduce the risk of diabetes. I think you know that as a runner. So let them learn that from Pamela's TV show and from Richard Simmons. We don't need government. Uh, Here's here's the problem. (laughs) That's nice for people who do have cable TV. Unfortunately, many people don't have Discovery Channel. So for those poor people out there who have, poor, who have no access, what are you going to do? You just assume they're going to catch it on the tube? Oh, no, you're not supposed to be watching TV because if you watch TV too long, you get this big. So, I mean, you're, you're going round and round. Now, what I want to emphasize here is that the government's theory seems to be something along the lines of people are fat because they have not been given the information that it is more desirable in this culture to be thin rather than to be fat. I don't think that's correct. I think this information is is not exactly a state secret. It has been widely disseminated. Well, let's be clear, though. It's not the information. It's the opportunity to act on it. I think what Pamela described in terms of in the inner cities of this country, you don't have sidewalks. You don't have safe places to be physically active. You don't have access to grocery stores. 
Believe me, the, the fixation on weight is not ours. Oh, really? The fixation here is on healthy lifestyles. What was your, what was your report called, Dr. Satcher, your 2001 report? Was it a report on healthy lifestyles? Well, the, the first ever Surgeon General's report was on smoking and health, and it was on cancer, but that wasn't the focus. The focus was on getting people to stop smoking. Absolutely. Well, I'm all for engaging in healthy lifestyles, but I'd like to point out that's that the role of government. You know, one of the most interesting things about this debate, everything that's being said by the advocates of the government's position here was said almost literally word for word in the 1950s. Government officials were saying in the 1950s the same thing that they're saying today. They're saying, Americans are getting horribly fat and it's going to cause this huge health crisis and if we don't do something about it, the Russians will just come in and push us over and take over (laughs) and it's, you know, the terrorist within and all that stuff and nothing that was ever predicted took place. But this is one area I have found in terms of government policy and social uh, hysteria and moral panic where data simply doesn't move anything. Come on, let's get real here for a minute. 50 years ago, if you were 10 or 15 pounds overweight, it was a crisis. You know, you couldn't get out of your, you know, size four or whatever. Today, I'm a physician. And you know what? They don't have 15 to 20 pounds to drop. They have 100 and 150. It's changed. It's changed from 1950. And I'll tell you what, they'll never get within spitting distance of an ideal body weight. So you know what I do today? I say just head south. Just start moving down 5%, 10%. That's all you need to do. But Pick Pamela, up whatever what resources you have. What does that have, have to do with the government being involved? It has involved everything in it. to do with the government. Make the case. Because they don't have resources. Where are the play yards? Where are the parks? John Stossel, I've been asking the other side for specifics on what the government can do. They're talking about building parks, playgrounds, sidewalks to give people a chance to get physically fit, particularly in communities where we know those things uh, are, are at a deficit. Take that on. My understanding is that there are just as many or more parks, playgrounds, and sidewalks as there have ever been. People can exercise if they wanted to. And, John, you talked about they're they're responding to this national emergency. That's the justification for government. And I think you're right. And that always is. The crisis is the friend of the state. The specialists always have emergencies. It's terrorism or global warming or Y2K. Remember the planes were all going to crash and the killer bees were coming up from Mexico were going to sting us all to death and bird flu and plastic (laughs) bottles. It's endless. It all requires government to intervene, to raise your taxes, and to limit your freedom. If you want to ask a question, you might take it. Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm Chandra Turner. Um, we've talked a lot about healthy lifestyle, but what I want to know is what is the government's role beyond just promoting this healthy lifestyle that we've all kind of anecdotally realized that isn't working? What about the government's role in junk food in schools? What about the government's role in taxing foods? What about okay. the government's role in... The packaged food industry, the, what is the role there? We haven't talked about that at all. Can I ask you a specific, a specific recommendation you would want to see, for example, with junk food? Do, would you want to ban it? Would you want to label it? Would you want to tax it? Would you want to change the formulation forced by the government? What, which of those things are you talking about? Um, kind of all of the above. Okay, have I we wanna, found? I seriously, ask, I mean, what, that's what I want to know, all the things that yeah. haven't been done yet. What okay, can be done yeah, and what is the government's David role in that? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's an excellent question. I, the government's role can be um, put into three categories. One is this assessment where you really monitor the health of the population. And you give us this kind of information that we can act on. The second one is assurance that everybody has access to the opportunity to lead healthy lifestyles. The third one is policy. And you're right. It is a responsibility of government to develop guidelines for healthy eating. The Nutrition Act that's just passed is an effort to say, if we're going to have free breakfast, free lunch in the schools, we must make sure that those lunches are healthy, that they have adequate fruits and vegetables. I agree with you. I'm John Donvan, and you're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on America's shores. The motion is, obesity is the government's business. Stay with us. We are back at this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. Our motion is obesity is the government's business. We have heard the side arguing for the motion uh, just recently make the case the government does have a very uh, activist role to play in, in, in uh, affecting and amending what people eat, and particularly children. I want to let the other side respond to that argument. John Stossel. Uh, Dr. Satcher, I think you're confusing intention with results. It's nice that we have this good intention, but government doesn't get the results. Some schools now have banned vending machines. A University of Pennsylvania study said 
ban vending machines that sell unhealthy food. They studied it. They found the kids eat just as much junk food, no difference in weight loss. You earlier said that, you know, the schools are supposed to be the great equalizer. They are supposed to be. But government schools are more segregated than private schools. It doesn't work. Government fails. David Satcher. Well, well, obviously, I don't agree that government failed. Now, the study that you're talking about, I don't think anyone, even the ones who carried it out, would see that as a conclusive study. What they said was, to date, we don't see the evidence that changing and vending machines are... But we're going to keep doing more of it. We are going to keep working to help children develop lifetime habits of good nutrition and physical activity. I think that's our responsibility. Um, just over on the corner up there. My name is Noam Gerber. And I was curious, how would you respond to the idea that the government's role is to protect the collective rights of the citizens, which overarches the protection of every one of our individual rights, and that the increase in obesity, which represents a, represents a threat to our society, for example, the increase in rising cost of Medicaid, which we all have to put a, we, which we all have to contribute to. You're asking about whether, whether, in fact, we're looking at a cost-benefit between obesity on the one hand and the cost of treating people who would be ill with the diseases that this side is talking about. Am I right? So I want to take that to Paul Campos. A couple things. First of all, if you're concerned about rising medical costs, what you would be in favor of if you believe that obesity kills people is as much obesity as possible because what drives medical care costs through the roof is an aging population. Right? That's, that's where the health care costs get spent. So, I mean, I'll tell you what, you know what would really would reduce health care costs more than anything else? I can do a back-of-the-envelope calculation right now. We can reduce health care costs by $1.7 trillion a year out of the $1.9 trillion that we spend by just having everybody be between the ages of 20 and 29. That would, like, that would drive health care costs down to the floor, right? But nobody is suggesting that we do that, and, no. we sh- and it's, this is the same thing as suggesting that we have a population that is okay. completely Both of our class want to speak. Like- it's a great question David, David that, that you raise. Let me just say that 80% of Medicare costs, and Medicare is the most expensive program that governments support in terms of health, 80% of the costs are due to preventable diseases, and certainly half of that is related to obesity and type 2 diabetes. There's no question about it. So it is true that the government has a self-interest to try to help people develop healthy lifestyles. And we're not even talking about obesity. We're talking about the benefits of healthy lifestyles generally. And um, there's a gentleman right in the middle. My name is Mel Zalk, and first one-sentence statement. The function of our government, one of the functions, is to promote the general welfare, unquote. So now the one-sentence question to Mr. Stossel is, what does that mean to you? Well, they mentioned the NIH and basic research, and there is a better argument to be made that that does promote the general welfare. But if the general welfare means the obesity police or the lifestyle police, uh, then there is no limit to what government can do. Then they can reach into every crevice of your life. They can ban the dinner you're about to have. Uh, They can ban fat and ice cream. I mean... I need, I need as a, I, just as a neutral journalist, I need to know what you're talking about. When you talk used about to work these, at ABC. You these, can't be yeah, a neutral right. journalist. <laughs> Sorry. I, I know, I know, I need to be more fair and balanced. But, um, John, I just want to know, when you're talking about these police telling us what, what we can eat for dinner, where, where is this, you know, I know you're talking about a slippery slope. I can see that, but... Be more detailed about this fear. I mean, where do you see this happening? You're talking about in terms of, of, you know, there's discussion of soda taxes, issues like that. Is that what you're talking about happening? Well, that's part of it. I mean, Thomas Jefferson said it's the natural progress of things for government to grow and liberty to yield. Government always grows. It starts with information. It moves to taxes. Then it moves to limits on what you can consume. And now that we have Obamacare and the government says we're going to pay for your health care, then that's an argument to say we have the right to have exercise police come into your home and make you improve your lifestyle. Striped sweater. Thanks. If you don't mind stating your name. My name is Daryl Baxter, and my question is for the panelists for the motion. Uh, Mr. Stossel pointed out earlier that the government does get involved in certain programs such as subsidizing um, the corn subsidies. And also um, Dr. Satchel pointed out earlier with the nutrition program, and I recall reading an article where there was an exception to the nutrition program where I think it was pizza and tomato sauce were considered vegetables. 
So my question is, to the extent government actually got out of the business of causing obesity through subsidies and so forth, what impact would that have on affecting dietary consumption? David Satcher. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's a great point and a great question. And I think that's exactly what's happening. I think government is beginning to change the way we spend our money relative to uh, foods, for children especially. Look at the new Nutrition Act and the difference that it represents from what we've seen in the past in terms of the way children eat in school. So I think we are, the government is responding to the studies that we've been talking about, showing how these foods are affecting lifestyles and therefore resulting in ill health, especially type 2 diabetes, even in children. So you're right, we, the government, have been uh, at fault in many ways in terms of what's going on in this country, in terms of subsidies, as you pointed out. It is the role of government to continue to learn and to grow and to change. And that's what we're seeing now. Paul Campbell. Um, I, I think when we look at the food industry, one thing that people ought to keep in mind is that the food industry loves the obsession that Americans have with weight. Diet, diet foods have a significantly higher profit margin than uh, regular foods because diet foods can be sold as a kind of magical elixir that's going to cause this, you know, this weight loss if you buy something which doesn't have something in it that it's supposed to have in it. So, for instance, a, fa a fat-free Fig Newton has more calories in it than a regular Fig Newton because the sugar that's, that's substituting for the fat in the, the fat-free Fig Newton is, 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 is more caloric, but you can, the, the fat-free Fig Newton will cost more. So the food industry um, loves all this stuff, loves the fact that we're obsessing on these issues and trying to supposedly uh, find a magic cure for our supposed obesity epidemic because that's one of the main sources uh, of, its, uh, of its profit margins, and so it, it encourages uh, this kind of social hysteria. Okay, uh, right here. My name is Safwan Shabab. Um, if we take a step back from the debate and look at the economics of it, maybe the government side could tell us why out of all actors, government itself is the best actor to step in and solve this problem if there's a problem in the first place. Let's take that question quickly, uh, David Satcher. Yeah. Why, why the government? I think the government is the only actor. Remember who the government is. Uh, public health is the collective effort of a society to create the conditions in which people can be healthy. Government calls upon all of us to work together to solve the problem. It does it through public-private partnerships. So it's not either or. We're not saying that the government does this and nobody else. We need all hands in. But if the government does not do its job, it will not get done because government has the resources, and nobody else does, to monitor the health of the population. Government has the resources to make policies but it doesn't mean nobody else does. Very quickly, Paul Campbell. Yeah, I'd like to point out something. The health of the American population is better now than it's ever been before. I mean, all this talk of, like, a huge health crisis overlooks the fact that, in fact, not only is life expectancy the highest it's ever been and continuing to increase at a steady rate, but all the rates of almost all the major diseases are, uh, are significantly lower life than they've been before. Life expectancy may be up. Health span is down. The quality of life is decreasing significantly. Yeah, because people who are people 90 are not very healthy. Grossly disabled by these diseases. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. Their closing statements will be two minutes each. So on to round three, closing statements by each debater in turn. Our motion is this. So obesity is the government's business. And here to speak against the motion, John Stossel, Emmy Award-winning host of the weekly Fox Business Network show, Stossel. So you talked about Medicare, and it's true. It's eating us alive. That's what's going to make us go broke fastest. So you're saying that because we have socialized medicine, which everybody loves, we have to give up our freedom and invite government to come in and control more of our lives? I don't think it's any coincidence that this biggest push for more food regulation comes at a time when Congress is obsessing about paying for everybody's health care. It's not true that only government can do these things. Free people can control their own lives. Government will propose to control you because you eat too much. Will they next try to ban skydiving and extramarital sex? How about another try at prohibition? That might save money. 
Some people say, well, it's just information, and information's good, but it's not free. These calorie counts, which haven't worked, they raise the price of food a little because it costs restaurants money to post that. And they also, all this information distracts you from other information that might be more important. This happens all the time when government intervenes. You ever look at a birth control pill label? I happen to have one here. <laughs> look at this thing. It's tiny fine print, both sides... The result is nobody reads it. It doesn't make us safer. This is what what government gives us. John Stossel, your time is up. Thank you very much. Our motion is obesity is the government's business. And here to summarize his position in support of this motion, David Satcher, the 16th Surgeon General of the United States and director of the Satcher Health Leadership Institute. Well, let me say that I I have seen government uh, at its worst, and I've seen government at its best. I know government is not perfect. I grew up in Alabama at a time of uh, segregation and discrimination. I was a teenager when George Wallace, running for governor, came to town and said that he would deputize every white man in Alabama before he would see one black child go to the University of Alabama. I've seen government at its worst. But I've also seen government at its best. I've seen government protect children from lead. As a medical student, I saw babies coming into the emergency room with toxicity from lead. Many of them died. That was in the 60s. In 1978, the government regulated the lead content of house paint, and we've seen a dramatic decline in lead poisoning in children. I've been involved in the eradication of polio all over the world and recently learned that last year, for the first time, not one child in India suffered from polio, and only three countries in the world had polio, a total of less than 700 cases in the world. Government at its best is we, the people. Government is the collective efforts of a society to create the conditions in which people can be healthy. So that's what we see as government. We believe that there's no substitute for individual responsibility. Let's make that clear. That's why I wrote the prescription. But individual responsibility can only take place in an environment where there is equal opportunity, there is equal access to the opportunity for a healthy lifestyle. That's our contention, that obesity is the business of the government because it is the business of the government to create those conditions. Thank you. Thank you, David Satcher. Our motion is obesity is the government's business. And now here to summarize his position against this motion, Paul Campus, who is author of The Obesity Myth and a professor at the University of Colorado Law School. Thank you. Uh, I was watching the Super Bowl with my father, who's a retired physician, an oncologist, actually, and we were getting bombarded, of course, with uh, um, erectile dysfunctional, uh, dysfunction ad drugs, advertisements. And um, they, all of them have this tagline that's legally required, right? Ask your doctor if Cialis is right for you, right? So after about, you know, six of these, my father turns to me and says, how the hell do I know if Cialis is right for you, right? <laughs> and, and, and the point was, uh, you know, significant in two ways. One, first of all, he's an oncologist. He doesn't know anything about the pharma ecology of uh, erectile dysfunction drugs, right, just because he's a doctor, right? Uh, But the more profound point is that you would think that the question of whether Cialis is right for me is a little bit more socially complex than it could be answered by a doctor, right? You'd think there would be at least one other person who would have an opinion on that question (laughs) besides a doctor, right? Um, the, the point of that story really is that uh, what is now called erectile dysfunction used to be called being 50 years old, right? <laughs> In other words, we take a completely natural process and we pathologize it. We turn it into a disease so that it can be treated through pharmacological intervention. What's happening is that all this talk about lifestyle intervention is something that the the pharmaceutical industry loves because they know that that stuff doesn't work. And the point of all this discourse is to soften up the regulatory pipeline for the next generation of diet drugs. That's where the real money is, and that's why we are hearing about obesity, obesity, obesity all the time. Oh, we'll get kids to eat fruits and vegetables. Uh, Alice Waters will make uh, asparagus for everybody, and we'll make lots of bicycle paths, and then kids won't be fat, but they will be anyways, and so then what will we need? Drugs. And that's what I would suggest this is really at the bottom line all about. Thank you, Paul Campos. 
This is our motion. Obesity is the government's business. And speaking last in support of the motion, Dr. Pamela Peake. She is WebMD's chief lifestyle expert and also assistant clinical professor of medicine at the University of Maryland. As the Discovery Health correspondent, I was filming my show in South Central L.A., uh, the National Body Challenge, where we take families and we try to teach them um, everything we can as physicians about being healthier. This is a small little house. It was 97 degrees in the middle of summer. There were no sidewalks, or what was there was scary looking. And uh, we were asked to go out and take a little walk. And I looked near the front door, and there was a golf club sitting there. So I asked, what was that sitting there for? And the uh, mother looked at me, and she said, that's the beat away, the dogs, the feral dogs that are running all over the place um, from the drug lords um, who are either jailed, dead, or MIA. Um, and just so we can get to our car. And I said, you have a dog yourself. Where do you walk it? Oh, we have to drive three to four miles away to a small park, and that's what we do. So I went out, and I took a walk with them. Um, and as we were coming around, and, and we were being filmed, of course, the producers were in a car, and I was on the sidewalk or whatever was out there, um, I noticed the dogs coming. They were about three blocks away. Um, and I realized, wow, let's, let's break into a run. You're walking so well. Let's run. And so we did. <laughs> And I ran for my life. I suddenly realized as we sat in there, as they ran into the house, and the kids were crying by this time because they were scared, they said, where's the cookies? It feels good. And the grandmother looking at me saying, no, we just learned something different. And I looked around and I said, wow, obesity is the government's business because it's not really obesity, really, at the end of the day. It's, wow, health, the fitness to be able to live and survive. That's really what it's about. Thank you, Pamela Peake. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side has argued best. And so while we're waiting for that, I just wanted to say a couple of things. One, I wanted to thank these panelists for the uh, level of integrity and intelligence and honesty they brought to this thing. So we'll have the results up there coming out now. So what I'm going to do is read the two sets of numbers and declare our winner. Remember, the side that has changed its numbers the most in the course of this evening will be declared our winner. Our motion is this, obesity is the government's business. And here are the results. Before the debate, 55% supported the motion, 19% were against, and 26% were undecided. After the debate, 55% remain in support of the motion. That has not changed at all. 35% are against. That is up 16%. 10% are undecided. The side against the motion, obesity is the government's business, carries the debate. Our congratulations to them. And thank you from me, John Donvan of Intelligence Squared U.S. We will see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held at New York University's Skirball Center for the Performing Arts. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Dinah Wolf is the executive producer. Maureen McMurray and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit www.iq2us.org. To hear the full unedited version or to sign up for the Intelligence Squared podcast, visit npr.org slash intelligence squared. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR.